Hello clinicians and hello my peers. We are back for the final episode of season two and I must tell you, I am coming to you today with some mixed emotions. I can't believe that season two has come to an end so soon, but I'm also really grateful that we've had the opportunity to connect, to learn, to grow as a Becoming Healers family and an audience of people who really care about what it looks like to become clinicians in South African healthcare who are not victims of this challenging healthcare system, but true pioneers of its transformation. I want to thank each and every one of you who have spent the time in your busy days and taken time out to listen to this podcast. I truly hope that it has served you in more ways than we would have ever imagined as a team of people who put this together. I also want to thank each and every one of my guests for being such a true inspiration to the people who are listening on a week-to-week basis. This week's episode is definitely going to be a little bit different. We are not going to do the traditional um, shout out or stick to our normal structure. Instead, I'm actually just going to have an open, honest conversation with you, my listeners, about something I think we definitely need to address. So the guest of honor today is you. You are my guest of honor. If you are listening to this podcast today, it is you that I'm hoping to reach. And I hope that as I share truths about my journey in an area that I think many of us still grapple with, I hope that you are empowered to go and unpack and understand how you truly navigate this area of your life. Now, the theme of this season was Something Must Die. Each each season at JMD's Becoming Healers podcast, we will be focusing on something. And while season three is definitely still to come, I want us to make sure we have rounded off this idea of something must die. The theme is really about um, making sure we hold on to perspectives that empower us as clinicians facing the South African healthcare system. We know that it has not been easy and that the COVID-19 pandemic actually added fuel to an already flaming fire. But I know that vaccines having come out definitely has brought an ease and a comfort to many of you. Um, And maybe not to those of you who've lost people who you love or colleagues because that has already happened. But whichever side of the coin you fall, I really, really hope that um, you're really sensing a courage and a hope that's coming back to you. And as I was saying, this season's theme of Something Must Die was about ensuring that we get to hold on to new perspectives. There's a lot that's out there that is common to our culture, that is normal to our experience, that doesn't need to be. And I think as we intentionally expose ourselves to clinicians who are seeing things differently, who are acting their, their path and their beliefs out differently, it gives us the opportunity to question our own. And so today... I humbly want to bring to you the topic of rest under the theme, rest is not a reward. This is an important theme for me because as you know, the season is coming to an end and while we could have opted to do a year long series, it was important for us as a team to try and structure a schedule that enables everybody who's in any IMD experience to experience rest. And for me, this is a personal journey that has been very difficult to navigate. I've personally struggled to understand what it looks like to define rhythms of rest, to find pockets of rest. And I'm hopeful that if this has been your experience too, and if you have been struggling with extreme fatigue, with feeling listless, with feeling 
uninspired by your work, your world, that you would take the opportunity to consider whether you have ingrained and designed systems in your world that empower you to rest well enough. I certainly know that that has been a struggle of mine and it is such an honor for me to be able to open up a bit with you, my listeners, and share a bit about where I come from in this journey of rest, how I believe the narratives I kept about rest were formulated, and how I began to take a journey of deconstructing those perspectives so that I can hold on to moments of rest so I can be more present in my life and so I can show up to the roles that are afforded to me in this life in full force with great vitality um, and with just like a force that makes the impact I hope to make in everything that I do. So I hope you're ready and I hope you have the courage to journey with me here. So maybe just to kick off where it started off for me, I was doing a call in PEDS as an MO, first year MO time at the time, and you know, I started feeling this pain in my left axilla. Ignored it for a week, only to find that when I finally went to get a sauna, there was this large abscess that needed like hectic drainage. Very sick thing to tell you, but I tell you to tell you that I was so consumed with my work that I didn't have the self-awareness to mind my body well enough. And I think one of the first places we can see or encounter the reality of our need of rest is in our bodies. And I was not in the habit of listening to my body or obeying it or paying attention to it such that it warned me when I needed to stop or I listened to it when I thought that was true. So. That experience happened and it was the time in the hospital that actually showed me that I had no strategy for rest. I was asleep most of the time. I missed most of the meals that they tried to come and give me. And it wasn't until I think the third day of admission when one of the cleaning staff, it wasn't the cleaning staff actually, it was the kitchen staff, who was coming to collect my food for the third time in a row, shouted at me and she said, all you do is sleep here. You don't eat your food. You don't do anything. You just lay here and sleep. And that was the the first real awakening I had to how fatigued I was and how little I I took that symptom seriously. I was eventually discharged and obviously had two weeks off and had the opportunity to really reflect on my relationship with rest. And I got to a place where I recognized that for me, Rest was the reward, and I approached rest that way. It was a reward for working hard. It was a reward for studying um, really hard before an end of block week. It was a reward for almost anything in life. So if I hadn't earned sufficiently, I wasn't worthy of the rest. And that put me in a position where my body was completely compromised, and I was not actually functioning from an optimal place. And I guess that's also part of the challenge with high fu- highly functional people or people who are very talented is your best is probably someone's or most people's average. And so it can easily come off as you managing when actually you're performing suboptimally for you and your best and your capacities. 
The second part of that story is that once I finally got discharged and had to get back into the rhythm of work, I remember feeling like even though I'd had two weeks off, something was amiss. I wasn't really done resting and I didn't need, I didn't know how to ask for what I needed and I didn't really know how to place in my mind what it was. And eventually I was on a call and I realized I really wanted to go away. I just wanted to go to the beach. I wanted to be by myself. I wanted to take a solo location. I was so nervous to ask for what I needed from every area of my life. But eventually mustered up the courage to do it and realized that after three years of working, that was the first holiday I ever took. I never did what leave period requires, that you leave. Um, and that's essentially where I want to start and, and warn you or highlight is that it's called leave because that's exactly what we need to do. Leave, get away from your normal routine, from your day-to-day Obviously, people's financial situations and circumstances don't always allow them to book a plane out of the country, but making sure we structure times in our rhythms of life where we are removed from the spaces that constantly require us to pour is critical to ensuring that we remain a source or a well for that place. And that was something I had not cultivated in my own personal wellness slash self-care journey. I was not accustomed to making time to leave, to recuperate so that I could rest. And that culminated in my body actually being the first warning sign for the fact that I was overworked and I had not done enough to take care of my rest. And that was a really, really good place for me to start navigating this journey of unpacking the reasons why I thought rest wasn't a reward. And then working towards making sure I reframe my perspective so that it's different. And some of you may be listening and asking, what were some of those perspectives that were that were framing the narrative for me believing rest is not a reward? When I think about that question, I I truly reflect on just my childhood journey and I guess how many of us who are quote-unquote type A personalities are brought up, you know, where we are used to putting our energy and our focus onto one thing so we can reap that one big reward, whether it's being on the top 20 or I don't know what your personal goal is, making it to med school. We're used to sort of that sacrificial type of relationship where you go in full force for one thing and for one moment and for one victory and only when you get to that one point do you celebrate. And that helps me reflect on the first moment I want us to think on, which is when Dr. Lamphal shared about how she makes sure she stops to celebrate herself at every moment in the journey and how that's been critical in ensuring that she actually makes it to the end as one whole person who hasn't lost her whole life because she was trying to make it to one point. So uh, rage time is basically four years and it's made up of a four-week block. So every four weeks you rotate to a new block. So I took it upon myself that at the end of every rotation, I'm going to celebrate myself and let myself know that I'm doing extremely well and that I'm very proud of the milestone that I have reached. 
Um, so in the process of, I'll tell them the phrase, it's coming. So in the process of reg time, right, it's four years and then you become a fellow at the college. And a lot of people celebrate at the end. But these people who are walking on stage at the end have lost so much during this journey. Reg time is so taxing. It's so grueling. There are people who literally lose families. They lose husbands. They lose wives. They lose children. Um, they lose their sanity, you know, they lose their joy, they lose their passion, they lose their zest for life. There's a lot that goes on in those four years of rage time. And we've been taught to only celebrate once you make it to the pinnacle, once you make it to the end. And I found that if you're going to do that in the process, you're going to be losing so much. And you're just Mm. going to tell yourself that it's not good enough until you get to the finish line. So it's very important for me to know that with every 100 meters, it's well done and thank you. You're doing great, my girl. Every 100 meters, it's well done and thank you. And what that does for me, for my psyche, is that it boosts morale. It reminds me that we're achieving as we're we're going through. Even if we've fallen in one cycle, we still have the next cycle to look forward to. So it's very, very encouraging to me. And I'm so proud to announce that there's a number of registrars who have joined me on Come this on. Journey, which yes. is so so excellent you know it's Ach, a positive environment and we're winning and we're going and it's great so at the end of each rich time um, cycle i pop a bottle a non-alcoholic yes. bottle it's so important <laughs> that it's non-alcoholic yes. <laughs> and i literally say out loud to myself and to the rest of the world that rich time is the best time of our lives yeah. and then the bottle pops it's so important to you can literally make your mind believe whatever you want it to believe so for me that's my narrative i'm actually having fun during rage time it's very hard it's very hard it's hectic it's tiring it takes a lot but i'm genuinely having fun because i truly believe that rage time is the best time of our lives and that's Uh. my narrative and i'm sticking to it I think the second thing that I would reflect on that probably influenced that perspective of rest not being a reward is a God complex. One that even in my own personal spiritual journey, I've had to face is walking around this earth feeling like I didn't need saving or I didn't need support or I didn't need help. And that God complex was dangerous because I was never willing to see myself as because I was never willing to see myself as fragile enough, weak enough, or in need of that rest. And that's I think a very dangerous position to be in. And I'm thankful that I've I'm working my way out of those perspectives because it's not healthy to to be attached to being needed that way. And I think many of us may subconsciously or otherwise be really dependent on our need to be needed as fuel for our life, as the energy we live off of. And I think particularly for people in the healing disciplines or, you know, people who are are healers like we are, clinicians as such, it's easy to get full from the ability to fulfill someone's need, even if it is at the bedside. I recall my calls. It was this crazy relationship where even though I knew it was exhausting and even though I knew it was tiring, there was something I loved about that post-call feeling 
where I know I poured out my everything and there was something about that place that filled me up. It really did. And maybe I didn't process that correctly and so I thought that that was enough. But my body didn't need the rest because my my heart was full. Or I, I felt like my emotional bank was full. But I think it's important for us to to consider whether we walk around with a God complex and so feel like we don't need saving. And the second moment I want to reflect on is probably a mix of season two and season one. It's just when Dr. Falayan speaks about doctors needing to, to lay down the God, God complex so that we can just be people and be tangible and be those who need support. I think doctors were given Godship and not given humanship. Oh. So as doctors first oh, ourselves, we nice. need to acknowledge that we are human before we are doctors and gods. Before we saved your life, wow. I had a life. Like, I mean, as a mom and a wife, I'm constantly wrestling with which one is better, which one is more important, which one is prioritized. So I'll be, if I'm at work, I try to be present at work. But if my son is sick, I, I'm like I've left my son sick at home so many times, I wonder when they count good moms, will they count me too? So those are the kind of guilt that people are walking around with. And then they struggle to then function as perfectly as they should. So, in an environment that requires their perfection. Yes. Yeah. So if I'm doubting myself as a mother, right. my wrath as a leader yeah. is coming from an yeah. angry place. It's coming from a, I left my son to be here. Yeah. You yes. better function. You better function. You yes. better So I have no mercy. Yeah. I have no mercy because mercy is with my son, which is unacceptable, actually. Yeah. I need to reconcile that. Okay. If I cannot be at work, maybe I shouldn't be at work. Sure. So I don't know. Doctors need to become humans again. Yeah. And I think the sooner we realize we are human, the sooner we can heal. Now can I show you those are mistakes I am intentional about not making anymore. I guess the change in work environment has definitely helped cultivate that. But one of the things I also had to quickly realize is that I needed to build boundaries. And that a lot of those boundaries were not just to protect the outside things from coming in, but actually to protect me from myself. I think we deeply underestimate how much of our personal traits inhibit us from showing up in this world in the ways we hope we'd like to show up. So for me, boundary building was about becoming deeply self-aware and then also creating structures around me that empowered me and kept me safe, first for myself and then from the things that are around me. A simple example I can put is the scheduling. You know, scheduling a time where, for example, becoming healers stops so that I can take time off because my inclination would likely be, ah, let's just continue. But if I've put it in the calendar, if I've told people that this is the time I'm having off, if I have designed the system such that I have to move away, then it becomes easier to actually execute. So it's been in the little things where I've had to try and cultivate environments where that can be possible. I think another thing is vulnerability and relationships. You know, creating environments where people get to look in on you. Obviously, not everybody, but the people that you trust. And truly critique the way you do things. That's been very helpful for me. 
has been exposing how I do things so I can allow other people to expose how they do their things and find out whether there's a rhythm that can work with me, work for me there. I think it was that Dr. Lamphal who said that when you think of personal development, it's obviously not going to be the same for everybody else, but it truly is just this journey of self-discovery and figuring out what works for you and what doesn't. And I think after not recognizing that I had the power to leave and I needed to leave to find rest, it definitely culminates in episodes of burnout or just feeling absolutely empty. And there is then a need to rebuild. And for me, that journey of recovery meant being patient with myself, forgiving myself, and having a humble respect for sometimes the temptation I get to just go beast, to not stop. Um, And like I said, designing the relationships and the environments that will empower me to do differently. And then telling my story. I think a lot can happen as we tell and retell our stories. Firstly, it's an opportunity to reflect, but then it's also an opportunity to have other people poke holes at how you see things and bring their narratives and their perspectives that can empower your why, your how, or your or even your what. One of the things I also needed to employ was personal tools. And throughout the season, I've asked multiple guests, you know, what are some of the things that they do to keep their hope, to maintain their positive perspectives? For me, one of the things that I've had to do to maintain rest is, like I said earlier, calendars and scheduling. Such a simple skill, but it was something that I found really hard to do. Um, blocking out time in my diaries, telling people, nope, you can't just pick up a phone and call me. You need to schedule it with me. But like I said, building those boundaries were more about protecting myself from me because I know when I don't, I'm more susceptible to ending up in situations that'll compromise my overall well-being and make me lose rest. Then in terms of just creating all of these structures, I also had to hold on to a principle that one of my dear friends shared with me. I think we were in varsity or she was in varsity and I started working. And it's this idea of crappy first drafts. The reality is the first draft of anything is going to be crap. It's not great at all. But that's why it exists. It's because it's a first draft. And you build off of that. And I had to have the courage to have a crappy first draft of my self-care rhythm. Or a crappy first draft of my leave calendar. Or a crappy first draft of absolutely anything. So that it was something I could work off of. And for me, the principle of crappy first drafts has been key for any area of my life where I want to experience change. Just make that first crap draft and then look at your life and go through the days and go through the rhythms and see why it's crap and how you can make it better or how you can refine it. And it's something that I carry with me in every area of my life. It works absolutely everywhere. And it's also really empowering to know that after that first draft, you get iterations that are better and better but also not being so married to the final or the more complete versions of a draft that you aren't willing to let it go when life changes. Rhythms change all the time and seasons mean that we have to be willing to always have to start again. There's always going to be something new you're facing, juggling, navigating, that's going to make you feel uncomfortable and uncertain about how you did things before. But as long as you're confident about the fact that you can 
definitely write a crappy first draft. Then you can definitely move to a place where you're an expert or a little bit better than you were before you had that first draft. So that's something that's really, really helped me. And I hope it's something that if you're not already doing, you would try to do. Then I would say the last thing is personal development for me was about weakness development and strength training. Now I know personal development is a huge term and it means many things and it's almost like a billion dollar industry. But for me personally, it was important to ensure that personal development was about strengthening my weaknesses and making them strong and strengthening my strength. Um, so like I said, the crappy first drafts principle for me helped me do that. It helped me identify the places where I really, really was weak or very insecure or not confident in myself at all so that I could have more iterations of something that was better. But then where I was strong, it gave me the opportunity to see how can I get stronger? How do I expose myself to resources that will make this strength even stronger? A simple thing, and I would challenge you to do that, is to go back and listen to the first episode I recorded with how many ums I had versus even this right now. Now, I will say that when I noticed I was doing um counts, I started editing a few of them out. But in the last few episodes, I've tried to maintain authenticity. And in this one, I promise you, I will not delete any ums that come up. But being intentional about sorting out some of the things that I am insecure about or that make me feel uncomfortable as a public speaker have been what self-care has looked like for me. So it's making sure that any area of my life I want to see excellence I show up in. The people who know me well know the exercise journey I've been going on, but really, really creating environments where personal development isn't one moment or one time on a weekend, as Dr. Lamphal alluded in the first episode of the season, but it's opportunities in a week or in a day that I get to improve myself, improve my skills, and see some strength in areas that I want to see strengthened. I definitely think my exposure to the corporate world has taught me that there's so much in us that we have no clue we have the ability to do. Some gifts are a surprise. Others you cultivate, you know, with the skill of academics or through learning. Others you stumble in on. And there's so much that I've personally stumbled in on finding out that I have a knack for business or I can cope in the corporate setting. And that has exposed me to a plethora of skills that constantly need development, things that I would never have known I needed if I was in hospital environments or still in clinical medicine. But I think that can add great value to the sector at large. And having a rhythm for personal development and creating opportunities in my day to be exposed to tools and assets that can empower me where I'm weak and strengthen me where I'm strong has been critical to making sure that even when I rest, I'm resting knowing that it's not that this time is wasted because I need to develop something else. This is time I need because I've also spent time cultivating weaknesses, managing strengths, and then navigating the roles and responsibilities. I have the pleasure of navigating. So it's not really that deep. I'm no psychiatrist or psychologist. 
I'm just a clinician like you who's had to wrestle to find rhythms that serve me and empower me to do this work that I so dearly love. And I think rest is something as clinicians we may not know how to do anymore. It's so normal for us to be tired. It's so normal for us to be fatigued. It's so normal for us to be out of energy. It's so normal for us to act on autopilot. But I just want to ask you one thing. Have you lost the spunk and the energy in your life? Do you feel like you do things with a fire? Do you feel like you do things with an energy? If not, I'd like you to consider whether you believe rest is a reward. Whether you aren't taking time out to rest or consider how you can serve yourself better by just recharging and restoring and defining moments where you can develop yourself personally so that you can show up in the world in the ways that you desire to. And if your answer is, oh, I'm not sure or I don't even know, then I hope that you have the courage to take a journey to find out what it looks like for you to rest. We are on break and I know exactly what I need to rest. And that's also what makes rest time valuable is knowing that when I leave the period, I'll have what I needed because I cultivated the environment to get it. And if you don't know how to do that yet, or if you're struggling to do that, I really want to encourage you to take moments out to figure out how to unlearn, learn and relearn. And then to have the courage to fail fast and fail forward by making crappy first drafts so that you get better. We need you not just to be the healer who's empowered to change the South African healthcare system, but the person who's well and who's well rested. There's not a lot you can do without a fresh mind, without a rested mind. And there's not a lot of creativity that can come from fatigue. So this is why this important this episode is so important to me is because I know that even in a three month span, it's easy for me to build up some sort of fatigue and creating rhythms of rest is important to try and define opportunities and create spaces where I can be revitalized again. So I hope this is something that we stop struggling with. I hope this is something that we become aware we struggle with. Hope this is something that changes in our context, that our culture and our appetite for rest wouldn't just be because it's post-core and we're exhausted, but because we value what comes out of us when we are refreshed, when we are rejuvenated, when we are energized, and that we value cultivating environments where we can have that so that we better serve the overall context we're in. I'm reminded of a moment in the interview I had with Dr. Precious Chikura, episode four of Frontline Refuge, or rather about Frontline Refuge, where she shared and unpacked a bit of her personal mental wellness vocabulary that helps her identify the phases she's in in her personal mental wellness journey. The conversation was largely about mental wellness, but I think a lot can be used and applied to other areas of our lives, particularly to the area of rest. And she speaks on the concept of a container that I'd just like to remind you of. And I think one of the things I'm really enjoying about this conversation with you, Precious, is your vocabulary for mental health. I was listening to a different mm. podcast this past week, and um, uh, the, the trained psychologist was just speaking to how 
her aim in the podcast for this season is to get us to expand our vocabulary. And, and you have mm. a vocabulary for mental health that I think is so, so um, powerful and unique and, and that has helped me even in myself, you know, take a few moments, even in this conversation to think about mm. where I am particularly the scale that you presented to us of moving from stress to distress then decompensated. What are the other words that you think clinicians um, need to add to their mental health vocab bank so they can better like express where they are? Because I think, like you said, that's part of the challenge is um, we, we can hide. Yeah, hide is probably a good word. There's probably a better word, but we can almost mm-hmm. go under the radar um, simply because Maybe we don't even know how to express what it is. Uh, what are some words or few keywords you think have been helpful for you uh, to be able to use language that helps you define your mental health state and then also express mm. it properly? This is a hard question. I'm sorry. <laughs> I would yeah. just like to put a disclaimer that I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist. Yes. But, um, you know, I think one of the words I would use is baseline. Mm -hmm. So understanding what your, what your mental baseline is, I think is important because you need to recognize when your baseline is off. Are you up Mm -hmm. or are you down? How are you deviating from your baseline and what causes you to deviate? So I would just say baseline, number one. Number two, the what is causing you to deviate, right? Your stresses. What mm. are your stresses? Our stresses are different. And, you know, as healthcare workers, that's a word that's it's not new to us. Mm. But I don't think we apply it to ourselves. Um, what are the things that are attacking your own mental health and your own spirit? So I would say stresses is another one. And then I would say um, yo, this is such a hard question. Then I would say (laughs) I would say container is the third one, the third and last one that I would use. And I think this is how I picture it and also how they used to teach us in varsity, right, about your your own emotions and dealing with other people's emotions. And because we are in a profession where you deal with other people's mental health and other people's problems, you are a container. You have your own Mm -hmm. problems within your container. And then they also bring their problems into your container. So what is it that you actively do to ensure that your container is not going over the maximum? How, how are you do you know what I mean mm. so I think that is the one thing when you are feeling over the brim every single day how do you clear what is in your container so you have space for your own your own problems and your own happiness <laughs> um, yeah so those are the three words I would use baseline stressor and container it's important for us to live with that consciousness that we are containers. It's important for us, even as we navigate this concept of rest 
and it not being a reward to try and hold the truth of the fact that we can't get to the next levels of ourselves if we're not constantly making space and emptying ourselves or our container, as she would say it, so that we can flourish, so that we can grow, so that we can hold on to the things that preserve us and empower us to get to next. That's all I got for you. I hope it absolutely blessed you. It's been such a pleasure to journey with you in the season of Becoming Healers. If you have any comments that you want to share, please voice note me on 066-246-3302. Let me know how you found the season. Let me know if there's any guests I can connect you to. This is a community of people we want you to stay connected to. And I hope that every episode served you in some way, shape or form. I'm off to take leave and I'm and that's exactly what I'm going to go do. I'm going to leave and I can't wait for the time that I have off to spend with my family and with myself. And I hope that as we take this time off, you'd also spend a few moments just reflecting on yourself, on the season, on the parts of you you'd like to see improved. And then come back and join us in April for season three of Becoming Healers. It's going to be fire. I can promise you that. As I was thinking on what to pray for you this week, obviously one word came up, rest. I think it's something that we have not been taught how to do well. I think it's something we've been told will rob us of progress, will rob us of opportunity. But those are perspectives that must die. So today I just want to pray for those of you who need rest, for those of you who need strategies for it. Great God that you are. Thank you so much for the opportunity to pray for my listeners. Thank you for the opportunity to journey with them through the season where I think a few things have died. Today I ask that you'd give us the courage to rest, to trust that rest is available, that when we rest we are not losing time, we are not losing progress, we're not falling behind, but we're taking the necessary steps and tools to ensure that the next phases and places we need to show up to, we are empowered, we are rejuvenated, we are restored. Give us strategies to rest. Give us opportunities to find pockets of rest in rare and wonderful places. And give us the courage to try to make crappy first drafts so that we can improve and get better. We thank you for the opportunity to journey together through the season. I pray that as we take the time off, we'll all rest well, recharge and recuperate. Thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I love you and I mean it. I'll see you next time. This podcast is proudly brought to you by YoungMD. If you wish to be the official sponsor or partner of the Becoming Healers podcast, kindly visit our website at www.youngmd.co.za to find out how you can get in touch.